Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, it's a new year. And guys, this is going to be the year of years. Yes, I know that 2024 is an election year, but 2023, gang, is where we're going to do the hard work and build the foundations from top to bottom and east to west to make sure that American democracy survives for now and into the future so that the American experiment survives. I want you to go to lincolnproject.us and sign up or jointheunion.us and sign up for our volunteer efforts. I want to say thanks to everybody for your listenership and for your support of the Lincoln Project and our mission. And now on with the show. Welcome back to the Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Juliet Jeske, the author of the Decoding Fox News newsletter. In Decoding Fox News, Juliet watches all of the Fox News so you don't have to and exposes all the disinformation and misleading stories along the way. In addition to her newsletter, she is a research associate at the Toe Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at City University of New York. Today, she's coming to us from Brooklyn. Juliet, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I have to say off the bat that I'd like to know how you're upright, given the fact that you... <laughs> watch Fox News on a almost continual basis. That in and of itself seems to be a pretty amazing thing. But before we get into what you do on a daily basis, take us a little bit back into how you even came to a decision that this is how you want to spend your waking hours. I sort of stumbled into being a journalist or a researcher on accident. I knew somebody who got radicalized and was a guest on the Gavin McInnes show. Mm -hmm. Gavin McInnes, founder of the Proud Boys. Yes. And what that ended up turning into is my friends were like, can you keep an eye on this person? And I said, sure. So I lost interest in that person pretty much instantly and then got focused on Gavin and was like, no one's paying attention to this. This is bad. This is really bad. And I ended up capturing and analyzing, cutting up and slicing up and giving out clips of all 407 episodes of the Gavin McInnes show. And at the time, I was an anonymous researcher. I didn't get paid. I just did it because I hated the group. And that's sort of why I was drawn to do this as a living. That's when I decided to go to grad school. And, and I'm Gen Xer, so I was a non-traditional student. Hey, me so, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it definitely was a leap of faith. And then basically my capstone was on, which is like a thesis, which was on Tucker Carlson, One American News Network, and Nick Fuentes. And Jeff Jarvis, who's at my graduate school, really loved my capstone. And he was the one that came up with the idea to do this. He's like, do you want to watch Fox? And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it, Actually, yeah, I don't. It was funny in grad school that it was considered a skill if you could stomach right wing media. As I said, it's not only the stomach. It does have a certain brain melting quality <laughs> um, that, again, I'm superbly impressed that you're able to break through. But I want before we get to because we could talk for seven or eight hours just based on the people and the things and the groups you've just named. Talk to me a little bit about this person that was radicalized. Is it someone you knew prior to their being radicalized? Did you see the process? What was their path to it? The person was already right wing, brought up in a right wing family, although lived in New York City. So that's already kind of a little weird. And I think I can't even look into this person's mind, but I suspect they thought they would get fame and glory and followers and attention. And because this was 2016 when the alt-right was big and huge and people were making, or they thought they were making careers out of it, I suspect that that's probably what happened. 
and a lot of people have. I mean, there has been plenty of ready money for these types of personalities to go out. You mentioned Fuentes, Dan Bongino, who I once helped run for the United States Senate, <laughs> Julia, as a moderate Democrat in Maryland, wow. right, in 2010. You know, Tim Pool, like, you know, the funny thing is, like, you see Tim Pool when he had Fuentes and Kanye West on. And the thing that struck me was not the insanity of it, although that was something interesting, was like, did you see how high tech his setup was? He had a massive studio with seats and microphones and everything else. Like, look, I have a beautiful home and I'm happy to do it from my office, Juliet. Don't get me wrong. Right. But somebody's clearly bankrolling these people. And so your friends or your colleagues or acquaintances say, keep an eye on this person. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, the performer was going on Gavin McInnes' show and trashing other people by name. Like, this person was a performer in nightlife in New York. And the other performers were terrified that Proud Boys were going to show up at shows, that they would get harassed. A lot of them were LGBTQ. So there was this sense of fear. And there was a lot of panic in 2016 about the alt-right. And the Proud Boys, a lot of people don't realize, were founded in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. So there was a lot of fear that that was going to bleed over and people were going to get harassed. And so they said, can you just make sure that we have evidence that this person's saying what they're actually saying so we can show people so they can believe us? Because there was a whole group of people keeping an eye on this performer. But I was the one who knew how to use technology, basically. I guess my question is, you know, whether or not it's McInnes and his program or these other people that I mentioned or Tucker or any of them, has it surprised you? the hyper-personal nature of the attacks when they come? Or is it not surprising anymore, I guess, is a better question. It's not that surprising anymore. And I have like a weird history. So people have tried to come at me because my ex-husband was in the closet when I was married to him and now he's openly gay. So occasionally people try to come at me over that and I just shrug because my attitude is just own it, just say yes and. So if somebody says, oh, you're a cat lady, I go, yeah. And, you know, like, <laughs> right. Here's and I'm five foot seven and I'm blonde. What do you want? You know, it's just like you're right. describing me. So, yeah. And I mean, while I do not want to at all undersell the sophistication of some of the people in what I would call the alt-right MAGA America first authoritarian fascist movement, you know, your average proud boy seems to be a skirt wearing incel. And does it surprise you the homoeroticism of some of the stuff that like Gavin McInnes is into? No, his sexuality is very, very strange. He would talk about trans women a lot in very specific graphic ways. He had porn stars on his show. He would get naked a lot. He flashed his anus. He would whip out his penis. He would dress in drag a lot and then say, you know, mock trans people. But then he's dressed in drag and you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but there's some serious issues. What is the basis of that? Is it sort of like a lost generation of American men? Oh, I don't know. I think in his case, I think it's some sort of deep self-hatred because I've dealt obviously with a closeted spouse. It's similar in that my ex really kind of deeply hated himself. So he didn't want to deal with who he was. And so I might be projecting that. But that's what I saw a lot with McInnes is that it seemed like he just hated himself so much that he maybe he's closeted. Maybe he likes trans porn. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But it did seem there's a lot of overlap with the I'm going to wear a dress and then I'm going to trash trans women and I'm going to have a trans woman on my show and talk about graphic sexual stuff with her. You know, it's just like, what, dude? There's this overarching weirdness to all of this, to I think otherwise normal people. You use McKinnis and his various antics. You know, remember when Tucker was doing that, you know, put the UV light on your privates and the like naked guys running around the field. It's all very strange. 
Yeah, I, there's some sort of deep-seated like fear that we're becoming too feminine as a culture and that we have to go backwards to this like 1950s mythology of women like knowing their place and men being the providers and this like bizarre kind of myth really because it's never really like what anyone thinks and there's always a downside to everything. I think that's kind of what it is, like a weird insecurity. But it's not the first time this has happened. It's been repeated throughout history of this idea of like masculine versus feminine and strength and weakness. No, I mean, look, if you look back at Soviet and Nazi iconography, right, it's all these bare chested, brawny dudes with scythes in their hands and the crazy statues and the, and the women who are always carrying, you know, baskets of wheat or whatever, right? I mean, remember that in Nazi Germany, you were actually given more money and awards for the number of children you had. Because women in National Socialist ideology, they were the home, right? The man was the state, was the Reich, but the woman was the home. It's like, I always call it the gauzy rearview mirror of history, right? Like the 1950s in America were not boring. They were an incredibly dynamic time in the United States, post-World War II, massive economic boom, maybe the likes of which the world has never seen, right? But not for everyone. But we had Brown versus Board of Education and... Dwight Eisenhower sending the 101st Airborne to Little Rock to desegregate a school, right? So there was a lot of dynamic social change going on in the 50s, but for whatever reason, they have chosen Leave it to Beaver as the prism by which they look at the world. Yeah, it's like a mythology. It's like they've made it up. And even like the sense of a nuclear family is relatively new. Before the Industrial Revolution, we all lived on farms and we lived in extended families and we all knew our aunts and uncles and cousins and we lived very close to the, each other. And the idea that we would be separate nuclear families in our own little homes, in our own little apartments, by ourselves, isolated, is relatively new. And they act like that is the pinnacle, that's the ultimate, and that should be celebrated, and everything's destroying it. And it's like they also create a mythology about like how white people were formed, this goofy idea that we're from Siberia, only Siberia. Like, no, none of that's true. It's like a fairy tale, they tell themselves. And they, they definitely have turned the 1950s into a goofy, inaccurate overly simplified fairy tale. What is the demographic of the people that watch? And it could be different for different outlets. What's the typical, if there is one, demographic for the kind of person that wants this kind of information, that wants this entertainment? I'm going to call it entertainment. <laughs> I think it's people who, for whatever reason, they're angry, they're resentful, and they think that somehow the American dream has left them behind. Which it very well might have. Yeah. And Fox taps into the anger and rage, and it's just one big outrage machine. It's like constant, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and everything's going to hell. It's like enthusiasm and dread is what I, I described Rachel Campos Duffy the other day as having a combination of enthusiasm and dread, because that's kind of what she is. Because, you know, so much of it is, you know, a lot of the rhetoric is apocalyptic. You know, the end is coming if we don't strike out at the woke or, you know, the heathens or the libs, right, whatever it is, right, then our world will come to an end, whether or not it's invoking religious imagery, right? And, you know, obviously the Bible is heavily relied upon, which is always interesting because the Bible, given the fact that it was written over, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years and written by God knows how many, literally God knows how many people, it says one thing here in Deuteronomy and it says another thing in Psalms, right? So like it's sort of a pick and choose kind of ideology too. But that's one thing that Rick Wilson, my co-founder and I were talking about today is how many people 
Juliet don't understand that, yes, there is an ideology, but it is also a highly transactional one, which is it will go where it needs to go to achieve a given purpose, even if it makes no intellectual sense from a Tuesday to a Wednesday. Oh, yeah. They do that all the time. Fox will contradict themselves all the time, sometimes in the same day. And I've seen it where I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't usually do this because it's too hard to do it, but I'll watch all the primetime shows, one right after the other. Oh, God. And sometimes, yeah. Whew. Um, and sometimes you'll see a story change depending on the host. And it's just sort of whatever that host's agenda is because the hosts are kind of left to do more what they want, whereas Fox and Friends and the Five are, from what I believe, from what I've read, are more controlled by Murdoch and the upper top brass of Fox News. So you'll see things morph a little bit because they all have their own agenda. Aside from the fact that you probably can't tell Tucker Carlson what to do, you could probably tell Hannity what to do. He seems to be a pretty empty suit. And Ingram, who knows? But why do they leave the night side to their own devices? Is it because that's where they know their bread and butter is and they sort of want to release more of the crazy town in primetime? I think so. And if you look at the ratings, Hannity has slipped and Tucker still remains on top. And Tucker also has the most young viewers. And then Jesse Waters tries to be Tucker, but he's not nearly, and I hate to say good because I can't stand Tucker Carlson, but Tucker Carlson's good at what he does. Right. This is the thing I think, it, Julia, it's really important to understand is that you can understand, and again, you hate to use the word talent or charisma, but Tucker Carlson is excellent at what he does. The problem with a Jesse Waters is he's such a goon, he's trying too hard because he's not that talented. He's not, and he's not that bright. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's just not. One of the most interesting nights I ever had was I decided when the Paul Pelosi scandal broke, even though really not a scandal, the man was attacked in his home. Right, but they tried to make hammer. it into a scandal. Yeah, with a hammer by a crazy person. I watched all four hours, and Jesse basically tried to be Tucker. And Jesse was like reading through the charging documents, sort of going, what's this? What's this mean? And then Tucker, and it was like, wow. They spent about the same amount of time on the subject, which was a long, long time, about 25 minutes. And then Tucker wove this insane tapestry where he tied in globalists and the Democratic Party and layer after layer. Right. And back to homosexuality. Is yeah. Paul Pelosi yes. really gay? Yes. Right. Whereas yeah. Jesse Waters was like some bad facsimile of it. He couldn't do it at all. And then Hannity resented the story and spent four minutes on it, just didn't want to talk about it. And then Ingram was similar. She just sort of, uh, okay, I guess I have to talk about this, but you could tell she didn't really want to. Why does a Jesse Waters and a Tucker Carlson relish it? And why do a Laura Ingram and a, and a Sean Hannity want to, they'll give it lip service, the four minutes they absolutely have to give it, but no more. Jesse just wants to be Tucker Carlson. I think Jesse's just concerned about his career. I don't think he really is much deeper than that. Tucker has an agenda of like, he wants to push this, you know, white nationalism, even though he won't admit it you know, push women all the way back and he constantly terrorizes and rips on gay people. But I think with Hannity and Ingram, Hannity has an agenda that he's not fond of conspiracy theories unless it's about Trump. You know, he just wants to talk about like global warming's not happening, climate change is not happening. And then Ingram is concerned with China and she's completely obsessed with China. So they just don't want to deal with some stupid story about Paul Pelosi. And I think that's why it doesn't fit their agenda. So they just gave it lip service and moved on. So let's talk about Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. Rupert, obviously the patriarch. And, you know, Lachlan is the son who got the gig. In your analysis of these people, like what does Rupert want? I mean, he's 90 something years old. He's on wife number 20. He's got gajillions and gajillions of dollars. Like what does he want now? 
I don't know, but it still seems like the same push for smaller government, but in a very specific way. And again, this return to a mythical Norman Rockwell America that never really existed and a return to these old fashioned values where women, again, knew their place and gay people didn't exist and black people just shut up and they didn't complain. And black people were invisible. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. They're invisible. They constantly push the idea that racism doesn't exist and they will show one thing I've noticed. It's subtle. But when they show like a successful black man or woman, it's always the same story. And they'll have like a little segment that's four minutes long. And it's always like this person came from poverty, but they worked really hard and kept a positive attitude. And now they're very successful. Yeah. The whole bootstraps thing. This idea that like, oh, yeah, you know, look, no one believes in hard work and perseverance more than I do. But the idea that somehow, I mean, Tucker, he is not someone he did not pull himself. You know, if they were if they were bootstraps, they were Chelsea bootstraps and Chelsea boots don't really have straps. But you get my point is like, it's all a myth, right? It's all a myth. Yeah. I mean, because Tucker's stepmother was a heiress to the Swanson frozen food empire and his dad worked in media and he went to private schools and boarding schools and the whole nine yards. And like, I remember when I was in high school and I would compete in academic competitions and speech and debate. And I went to a redneck high school and I was treated like garbage. And the fact that I would beat people and I would win first place sometimes, they were not having it. The rich schools looked down on me like I was a piece of trash. And so even as a white person, I felt classism is a real thing. Oh, this still very much exists. That was a question I was thinking about earlier, but that's a good segue to it is whether or not it's Gavin McInnes, who, as I understand, lives in a very, very nice neighborhood in a suburban New York somewhere, or Tucker, who I assume has a pied-a-terre in Manhattan and a place in Washington and a house in Maine and a house in Florida. These are all very wealthy, affluent individuals who play on the resentment, fear, and other things, not only of the wealthy and affluent, but also of the working class. Why do you think it is that the working class American is willing to go along with someone who they know does not like them, does not represent them. You know, it's like uh, Howard Stern once said about Donald Trump's supporters, like he wouldn't throw water on them if they were on fire. Yeah, I think there's a sense of if you're not rich, you must be stupid. That is sort of a myth that's been pushed down Americans throats since I can remember that idea that if you're not achieving, it's your fault. And so when somebody like Tucker Carlson pretends, even with his like loafers and no socks and his khakis and his he dresses like he's in a prep school still this idea that tucker carlson can pretend that he doesn't know what crudite is i've seen him make that comment or that he doesn't understand what a you know expensive hors d'oeuvre is or a country club and he acts like he's of the salt of the earth type of man and they'll buy into it because it's that idea of like well if you know he's one of us and we'll just work hard and we'll you know we don't want to tax the rich because we'll eventually be rich so let me ask about the Day in, day out stuff. So there's obviously stuff that's driven by the news, like the Paul Pelosi attack, as you mentioned. But sometimes there are other things that just seem to have come out of nowhere. What is the pipeline between, say, the depths of the dark web and QAnon and all of this other insanity? How does it make its way to Tucker? Or is it Tucker that drives this stuff out into society? Or is it a sort of a two-way street? I think it's a two-way street to an extent, but I also think because I'm not the only one that's noticed this. Other reporters and people at Media Matters noticed the leap from material from Nick Fuentes onto Tucker Carlson. Like it would take two days. Nick Fuentes would say something and then two days later you'd see it on Tucker. And Nick Fuentes actually caught it once. There's a famous clip 
this was when I was still in grad school, of Nick Fuentes just going, oh my God, he just said my name and he just said exactly what I just said last night. <laughs> that was my Nick Fuentes impression. Sorry. It's pretty good. He just said good. that last night. He's, his voice is so great. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he, would, he was basically bragging that Tucker Carlson was repeating him verbatim. And he was proud of it and he was excited about it. And there have been times where I've researched a conspiracy theory, like one of the goofy ones Tucker was pushing this summer was, oh, food processing plants were being sabotaged, even though they weren't. And um, I went down that rabbit hole and that had started in like the dark web. It had started with conspiracy theories, QAnon, and it took a couple weeks or so for it to end up on Tucker Carlson. And then when it ends up on Tucker Carlson, it gets amplified because then it gets legitimized. Like, look, it's on Fox. Again, it goes back and forth. So it's sometimes hard to tell where something started. But Tucker, more than anybody, can amplify something like his OAN and Newsmax still doesn't really have the viewership. They're kind of considered a joke more. Well, and I mean, Fox is on every household, every cable household in the country. OANN, some of these other things like right side broadcasting network, right? They're streaming. Right. And you watch some of that stuff, too. It's just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But I, I want to stay on, on Tucker for a second. I mean, I think of Juliet as the I'm going to call it Trump MAGA America first, whatever we should probably settle on a name for it. It's a movement. The Republican Party is its political wing. It's the one that promotes candidates. It has party apparatus, but it has a significant, ubiquitous, and I believe always growing information wing, which, you know, Fox and Tucker are a part of. And so it's one of those weird things where Tucker has real political power, even though he has not run for office and maybe he believes one day they'll play hail to the chief for him. But does he understand that? I mean, it seems that he does, but I, and I, I don't want to ask too simple a question, but I do want to ask, does he understand his ability to move certain political ideas or raise someone up or push them back down? Yeah, I think he does. I definitely think he does. I think out of every personality at Fox, he's by far the most dangerous person and has the most influence, especially the stuff he says about Ukraine right now. And he's been saying about Ukraine. I mean, yeah, we're almost a, a year into the Russian invasion. Yeah. And he just kind of he'll go back and forth with it where he won't go full throttle like pro-Russian, pro-Putin. But I definitely think he knows he has power and influence. I don't think he would make a good candidate. Being a pundit on television is very different than being a candidate. And I don't think he would have the same appeal. I think people would find him smug if he actually tried to run an actual campaign. I also think people would probably find dirt on him because everybody's got something. And he'd be opened up like a tin can if he tried to run for anything. What is his thing about Russia? Why does he promote their beliefs or their point of view to the point where clips of him are played on Russian state propaganda? I wish I knew. I have tried to figure that out. You know, people speculate all kinds of things. They say, well, maybe he's being paid directly. That would be hard to prove or figure out. And plus, it would be like foreign money. How I don't know how you would do that. But I know with the far right, with white nationalist, white supremacists, they are very enamored with Russia because Russia is mostly white and they view it as this sort of great white hope that's still kind of stuck a little bit backwards. They don't like gay people. Women are more subjugated. They like authoritarian governments. So they have kind of a weird romanticism towards Russia. And that might be where it comes from, because Tucker constantly, when Tucker talks about the far right, he'll bring on a person and he'll say, oh, this person's maligned. They're misunderstood. And then you look them up and they're Nazis. They're just straight Nazis. He's done that numerous times. 
And it's like a dog whistle. And then he does another thing where he once made a blood libel comment for no reason. He goes, are they baking the blood of children in their bread? And I went, oh, come on. Right. Now, for the folks who are fortunate enough, other than you and me, not to know what that is, what is blood libel? Blood libel was a myth made up about Jewish people in mostly Europe, where the idea that Jewish people were using the blood of Christian babies and baking it into their matzah or other ceremonies, using it in ceremonies because they were, you know, evil, wicked Jews. And it was straight up anti-Semitism and it was false, completely false. And it was just meant to demonize Jewish people. But that also weaves in sort of the weird QAnon stuff, too, right? I mean, that speaks to them. Yeah, all the conspiracy theories go back to anti-Semitism. And that's something that, unfortunately, most people don't realize because, trust me, you don't want to read the stuff I've read. But if you've read the stuff I've read, all of it goes back to anti-Semitism because it basically goes back to the idea, the false idea, that Jewish people are running the banking system and running the world. Right. The banks, the media and entertainment. Yeah. The joke is, it's like, I live in New York. I'm surrounded by Jewish people. I took Torah classes after my divorce. The idea that Jewish people agree and have a Jewish pope is such a joke because they don't believe in that. Different versions of Judaism are all over the place and they don't agree with each other. And that's part of the faith. So the idea that they would be organized in such a way is just downright laughable. But that also, going back to Tucker, anti-Semitism in Russia, that also opens up the avenue into Ukraine because obviously Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish and they actually take the opportunity to weave his Judaism and Nazism together in Ukraine, right? Like I always say, Julia, like you have to understand the world in which we're operating, not the world in which you probably understand. For them, having those two completely competing things going on is totally normal. Yeah. And they can justify it. They can justify anything. That's what they do. You know, they were trying to blame Pete Buttigieg for the Southwest Airlines fiasco. And that was a whole monologue where they kept going, well, if the government gets involved, they're just going to ruin it. But he needs to get more involved. And I'm like, wait, you're contradicting yourself. Maybe if he hadn't been on leave with his baby. Yeah, they brought that up. And you're going, wait a second. So you're saying the government is bad, but we need more government, especially from him. And that the fact that the other airlines kept flying. But Southwest collapsed is still his fault, not the fact that Southwest is run by idiots. You know, it's like, uh, okay. So let's talk about if the right wing media ecosystem is a pie, right? Like a pie chart you'd see in USA Today if they still do that. Like how much of it do you think Fox makes up? Is it 25%? Is it 50% more or less? I think Fox is by far the most influence and it sort of feeds the other craziness. Somebody like Joe Rogan, though, is sort of an interesting element because what is he? I wouldn't call him left. And he has a huge following. It depends on the age group, because I think Fox has the most influence with boomers, who are the largest voting bloc in the United States still. So they're the dominant voting force in this country. So I would say Fox, I would be generous and say like 50 percent. I think they have that much influence. On the Rogan thing, just as an aside, you know, I think that Rogan's not a liberal. I don't even think he's a conservative. I think what he does is provide the what I'm going to call the anti-expert and the uber skeptic set someplace to go. So a couple of months ago, he had, of all people, Tulsi Gabbard on. And it was the time when this silliness about furries and high schools was going on. And, you know, he said, oh, well, you know, I talked to a friend of mine and, you know, she lives in California, you know. At her daughter's high school, there's a litter box in the bathroom. And like what he and Gabbard had been talking about up to that point 
like I didn't believe it, but I could understand their angle, right? Which was Nancy Pelosi and, you know, the Stock Act and all that other stuff. So I could see their angle, even if I didn't agree with it. But then he went to the litter box thing. And I'm like, dude, that never happened. I know that never happened. And so he jumped the shark. And then I think even a few days later, he had to come back and say, actually, you know, I, I made that up. I never heard it. But again, in the moment, like he's happy to do it. Ben Collins talked about this. Once it's out there, trying to fight back against it, because he did a piece, he and people at NBC did a piece specifically about the litter box myth. And Ben Collins of NBC, he covers misinformation. Yes. And uh, once something gets out there in the ether, it's like takes 10 times as much effort to grab it and try to pull it back. It's frustrating. I have an expression that the listeners have probably heard too many times, which is MAGA buys in bulk and it sells one at a time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Right. It just casts this gigantic net. And it really does. I mean, you know, for whatever reason, maybe this is also a uniquely American thing, Juliet, or maybe it's a uniquely human thing, is they do prey on people's worst fears, worst resentments. And they also give permission to be your worst self. I mean, it's really easy to be an asshole all the time because there's no governor, right? And all of us have thoughts we're probably not proud of, but whatever comes into your head could suddenly come out of your mouth and there's no sanction socially for it, politically for it. Now, maybe, you know, you say something wrong at work, you get fired, but even then you've been canceled, right? Oh, the politically correct police got me. I got sent to HR or whatever. Like, well, like there are rules, like in a society, there are rules. And what we've seen, I think with Trump and now like the flourishing, I think that really in some ways has gone well past him is that there is license to be your worst self. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially online where you can hide the people who use fake names, they don't use an image. I deal with these people every single day. I'm sure you do too. And I just get these stupid comments and I block or mute and just move on. It's like, there's no point. And it's like, ooh, you're such a tough guy with no name and no face. Alt-right 78423B exclamation point at twitter.com. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we've all seen and what concerns me the most, Juliet, is that stuff that happens on Fox, and you used the word earlier, is now legitimate. And that the mainstream media, such as it is, will cover it thusly. That it does not cover it in the context in which it is, this is crazy, this is misogynistic, this is racist, this is anti-Semitic, this is white nationalist. They're trying to push a specific agenda that is fundamentally anti-democratic, right? They give it credence. And then that, you know, that silly concept of the Overton window just creeps over and over and over and over again before that, you know, it. Tucker Carlson's normal. Yeah, it's disturbing because I've seen it. I've seen, you know, like somebody like Gavin McInnes, you know, when he especially was drunk on camera and he's acting crazy, you'd think, oh, well, that's too far out. And it's not that different from Tucker sometimes with Tucker ranting and screaming and that stupid laugh. And that's what's terrifying is how. We've shifted so far over to crazy and how nobody stopped it, because what we're seeing right now with the House, you know, and the speaker is a great example. Too many people were making money and getting power by letting these extremists say whatever they wanted to say. Your Jewish space lasers and globalist economies and all this nonsense, these QAnon ridiculousness. And nobody reined them in. And now they're like, you know, we're not going to vote for you. We're going to hold this party hostage. And I'm like, you created this monster yourself. To that point, talking in the context of this fight for the speakership. So just to recap quickly, 2022, many people thought that the Republicans would retake the U.S. House of Representatives and it wouldn't be by nine. It would be by 50 or 60, which would give a guy like Kevin McCarthy 
theoretically enough cushion with a quote unquote normal conference, right, to get over the line. We've been saying, Juliet, since March of last year, there was just no way he was ever going to be speaker because we know these people. Because we also know a couple of things about authoritarian vertical power structures, which is they will always come for their least pure first. And he's at the top of that list. The other part, too, is Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Chip Roy, like they all have their individual reasons for doing this. But the bottom line is none of them are Republicans, at least not as I knew it. None of them are conservatives, as you know, you might have been called a conservative 15 years ago. They are MAGA. They're ultra MAGA. They don't care about anything. It's all about chaos. It's all about mucking up the works because they have no interest in governing. They have interest in power, but not governing. No, I would completely agree. Again, as somebody who grew up in the 80s and remembers the debates between Republicans and Democrats back then, it seemed like, I mean, I was a kid, but it seemed like it was more about fiscal policy, smaller government regulation, that kind of thing. And now it's just turned into Marjorie Taylor Greene screaming about conspiracy theories. It's been really scary to see how radicalized they've become. And that's why I actually think, because I have a limited grant, my grant is over in mid-February, and we're not sure what's going to happen with the project, although I'm starting to get more sponsors and stuff, just people donating money to keep it going. But I think interest in Decoding Fox News is going to go up because they're going to go crazy for the next few years. And it's going to be a bunch of nonsense of Hunter Biden and ridiculous theories and ridiculous investigations. And Fox will pick it all up and run with it. And there'll be this backlash of people going, what? Rather than it's always easier to kind of push against something than to go with it, politically speaking, at least. So I, I actually think I'm going to get more interest. Let me ask you this. Before we get into the future, I want to talk a little bit. Um, as we're recording this, we're a couple of days away from the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. A year ago, maybe almost to the day, Ted Cruz was on camera saying these rioters dot, 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 dot. That night. Tucker Carlson skins him from forehead to big toe. The night after that, Cruz goes on to abase himself to bow down before Tucker, and Tucker ain't having it. You're a lawyer, Ted. You know what words mean. You knew exactly what you meant. When a Ted Cruz does that a year ago, and when he's talking about it, why is Tucker so fixated on January 6th, to the point where even on the first hearing, remember in the summer of 22 or the second hearing, the first primetime hearing, he didn't carry it. He wouldn't have it on and they didn't take commercial breaks. Remember, it was silliness. What is it about January 6th that's got him so wrapped around it? I think he's really happy that it happened. Again, I'm speculating. I can't see in the man's head. But based on the hours that I've watched of him, I think Tucker has a mythical idea that he's about to start a huge revolution and that this will happen all across the country and that his belief system in MAGA is much more popular than I think it actually is. And that I think Tucker's sorry that January 6th was kind of half-baked and not well thought out. But I think Tucker likes the idea of what he believes is American patriots going to the Capitol and demanding justice and demanding change and I think he's lionized it in a way. That's my gut feeling based on the way he speaks of things and the way he talks about, you know, he calls them political prisoners and acts like they did. He literally acts like it's like a mild protest. You mentioned that Tucker's audience has a fairly young viewership, too. Or are we talking young like in their teens and 20s? Or are we talking young in like their 30s and 40s? The 
age group that's considered the best for advertisers, that young adult to like not quite middle aged, like 22 to 35 or whatever that age group is. That is the age group that Tucker has the largest audience in in prime time. The Five, which is the dumbest show on television, in my humble opinion, is the highest rated show on Fox, which how? But it is the highest rated show. And then Tucker's second, usually. But Tucker has a larger share of that younger audience in in prime time. I mean, that's concerning. You know, some people are like, you know, demographics is destiny and, you know, enough old white Republicans will die and it'll be more people of color, younger voters that, you know, start to just skew big D Democrat, you know, at the polls. But what I say to that is, well, not if the bad guys get there first. And that's concerning because also you mentioned, you know, you're Gen X born in the 70s. So is I. And, you know, I'll tell you, like seeing how many Gen X Americans voted Republican in 2022 was surprising and upsetting to me, given the fact that like we're supposed to be the most skeptical of them all. And maybe it is that skepticism that says the whole system's broken, so let's burn it down. I don't know. You know, we were left at home by ourselves. And so, you know, maybe we'll turn the gas on and let's see what happens. <laughs> but it's just I was shocked by that. Yeah, it's very disappointing. And I mean, I, I live in New York, so I'm surrounded by liberals, but I'm from Missouri. So some of my friends back home will vote Republican, although it's interesting because some of them will vote Republican, but they don't like Trump, which is they like still hate Trump, but they'll still vote for and in Missouri. So Josh Hawley and whew, pretty hardcore Republicans like Josh Hawley, I'd put in that. I don't know if he's on the McCarthy train or not, but he's pretty extreme. But the difference is between like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or, yeah, let's use Green or Boebert or Gosar or even Trump. Like they're true believers. What they believe in, who the hell knows? Hawley's a cynic. He knows this is all bullshit. The difference is, is that he thinks anybody wants to listen to him. And the problem for him is that nobody does, right? Like this is a guy who could run for president, raise and spend, you know, 10 or 15 million bucks to get 2% in Iowa. He's not a contender and he's weird, right? Again, back to being weird and, you know, the black t-shirts and the podcast with his wife and he's addicted to talking about porn, right? It's just such a weird thing. Yeah. So again, this is so weird. The sexuality stuff is so weird and their obsession with trans people and gay people and drag queens. So let's look forward. So you mentioned that you have friends that consider themselves conservatives and the Republicans, but they don't like Trump. Now, Fox seems to be on that train too, which is Rupert and Lachlan, at least for the moment, seem to be on the maybe not anybody but Trump, but certainly more towards like the DeSantis side of things. How does Fox play in that kind of primary? Because I assume that if Trump actually fires up the jet literally and figuratively and gets off his rear end and starts campaigning again, if he's able, you know, will start to draw more attention. He will have rallies that garner 20 or 25,000 people while somebody else is at the VFW Hall in Ottumwa with 18. So how do you see Fox as an arbiter of a potential 2024 Republican primary? It's hard to say because I think they have wavered on Trump. But I also think that they are addicted to ratings and addicted to power. And I think that there doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency there. And I think if if it looks like it's going to be Trump, I think they will just go right back to being rah-rah Trump. And I hate to say that, but I think it's true. But again, because they're as transactional as anybody. Yeah, they just don't care because I've seen them do that. It looks like they're going to go away from him and push DeSantis and then Trump will do something and they go right back to Trump and they leave stuff out all the time. That's the thing that's been the most interesting thing about covering Fox. And I compare it to straight down the middle PBS every single week. And PBS has all these stories that Fox ignores. And anything about Trump right now, Fox ignores. 
They just completely ignore it. They act like it didn't happen. They ignore all the investigations against him. They ignore the stupid NFT cards that he came that money laundering scheme that he came out with the ridiculous it's not like, even money laundering it's just like people like here's the thing is like i think i was on stephanie rule's show on msnbc and she's like who's gonna buy these i'm like i don't know but somebody will and everybody's gonna laugh but somebody will buy them and they did and they did but fox didn't mention it they didn't even mention it it was like it didn't happen so it's like they have this weird moral flexibility with him they're very flexible with him but i think if they thought he's going to take it they would just say, oh, whatever. We want to remain number one. We want to keep our power. We want to keep our influence. We'll just go with it. And I don't think Murdoch likes him. And I don't think Tucker likes him. I think Tucker just says what he needs to say to keep his job and keep being popular. Whereas I think Hannity is directly tied with him. So Hannity doesn't really have a choice at this point. I think for Rupert and Lachlan and even for Tucker, he's an embarrassment. They don't want to have to talk about him at dinner parties or at the country club or whatever he gives them everything they want, right? And this is, I think, one thing, I think I've said this before, is for the people who are Trump's main constituencies, the hyper-wealthy, the evangelicals, and the white revanchist nationalists, he gave them everything they wanted. Policy-wise, he gave it the evangelicals and the uber-wealthy wins, right? Whether or not it was judges or tax cuts. And politically and through his rhetoric, he gave the revanchists what they wanted. You know, look, we're we're of the opinion it's Trump until it's not. And even if it wasn't Trump, I think he would do everything he could to make sure it wasn't anybody else either or any other Republican either. But, yeah, it's interesting that, yeah, it's not just about being rah-rah Trump. It's also ignoring the bad stuff. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's a very smart way to look at it. All right. Let me ask you this unfair question to finish it off. After the hours and hours and hours that you have spent watching this stuff. One, what is the thing that you think you've learned the most? And two, what is the thing that worries you the most? I'd be the same answer that people are easily manipulated. And that scares the crap out of me. And that's the thing I've learned the most is how easy it is to do. Here's an example. They did a story on a shortage of Tylenol, children's Tylenol. And if you actually paid attention very closely to the story, it was in Canada. Then about a month later, we have an actual shortage of children's Tylenol. And I cannot help but think that that was related because they didn't just do one segment. They did several segments on this shortage of Tylenol. And I think they were purposely pushing that so that people would run to the stores, buy up all the children's Tylenol they could find, hoard it. And then suddenly, oh, no, now we have a shortage of Tylenol. You know, and I think it's amazing how it scares the heck out of me if you know how to make good propaganda, how well it works. And look, oftentimes it is... I don't want to say it's easy to do, but it's often simple. I mean, yeah, you can have convoluted stuff, but it all has to come down to fear, race. Was it LBJ who said every man's a king who's got someone to look down on, right? By looking down on these people, by pushing these people down, you're raising yourself up, even if you live in the same crappy house you've lived in for 25 years and you're going to live in it until you die. I'm better than that guy. And that's all that matters to me. All right, Juliet, before I let you go, tell people where they can find your newsletter, and how they can sign up and keep you in business. I am at Substack for Decoding Fox News, and I also have a podcast that is once a week. It's the same Substack, and the podcast is on pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast because it's on Apple. And right now, my Substack is 100% free. I might add a layer where people can be a paid subscriber. But yeah, just Substack and on Twitter. What are your handles on Twitter? It's Decoding Fox News, and then my name also is Juliet Jeske. They're kind of linked. I mentioned my name in my 
bio for Decoding Fox News. You can go to either one, but just everything Decoding Fox News, I have it on every single platform. I'll speak for the listeners too. Thank you for doing what you do because I don't think any of us, A, could or B, want to do what you do. But what you do is essential. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen and on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Juliet Jeske, thanks for joining me and everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.